Typology Tribe, Ian Morgan Cron here. I am so glad to be back here in Typology Central with my dear friend Anthony Skinner. Hey, Ian, how are you doing? Man, I'll tell you what, I've had a wild two weeks. <laughs> yeah. I have. So I I uh, was uh, speaking at the Young Life International Conference, they had about 5,600 people. Had some of our friends there? We did, and so in the green room, there was Drew and Ellie Holcomb. Yeah. Abner and Amanda yeah. from Johnny Swim. Yeah. Annie Downs. Yeah. I don't know who brought the flu. <laughs> I don't know who brought the flu into the green room. Something was incubating. I'm telling you, man. I'm sure it was like in the M&M bowl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People sticking their fingers in the M&M bowl. Well, I came right. out of there with something not really good. Yeah. And I went from there to do a thing in Connecticut for yeah. three days. I left there. I came back. I spoke for two days in Nashville. I was home again for another day, and then I flew to Edmonton, Alberta. To do you know how cold oh, it was in my Edmonton, gosh. Alberta? Tell us. With the wind chill, yeah, forty-seven below zero. <laughs> no Hold on. Is like, that even possible? Did you know that the Canadians have not invented temperature yet? They Are you sure invented... you went a little further north? No, 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 dude. Canada. I went outside. My lungs hurt. <laughs> Okay, my lungs hurt. That's crazy. It was crazy. So I spoke there for two days. Below. And then I came back. I had a day off. Mm -hmm. And I spoke at Thistle Farms. Oh. So Becca Stevens. Yeah. Thistle Farms. Yes. Organization works with women uh, who've been trafficked, mm -hmm. uh, women, lots of women in recovery. Yeah. I spoke for 72 uh, of their women. Wow. And some of their staff. One of the most rewarding days of my uh, Enneagram career. Oh my word. What she does is just amazing. Oh man. A lot of tears, yeah. a lot of, um, just really, um, a lot of insights for me, mm. you know, because I haven't worked, uh, with, you know, a pop, a, a population that's largely traumatized yeah. and with a lot of people in recovery, et cetera. Mm -hmm. yeah. And coming up on the 29th, I'm speaking at Cumberland Heights Rehab. Wow. Uh, and, you know, obviously I have a soft spot as someone is in a 12-step sure. program. Absolutely. And I cannot wait. I'm speaking to about 125 of their clinicians. I don't know if we're going to have any of their patients in the room um, who are going to be learning about the Enneagram. But I am super interested in uh, the Enneagram, addiction, recovery. Like, <clears throat> I just think, for example... If you're a sponsor in a 12-step group, and that could be OA, NA, AA, whatever, right? and um, you know your sponsee's Enneagram number mm. and your own, like it could accelerate the, the time in which it takes for you to get to know your sponsee, right. but you'll also be able to spot, I think, when your sponsee is heading toward a drink or a drug mm. or whatever their thing is. Right. And I'm like... I want to go field test that. Like, sure. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I like, you know, I'll just give you one other thing. Yeah. Are you getting bored of me yet? No, no, this is great. Because I find myself thrilling. <laughs> I think, and uh, in fact, I, I've had a conversation with Bill Haslam, who we had on the show recently. Yeah. About this. You know, there's, you know, let's face it, you know, the therapy mm -hmm. for the most part is a middle upper middle class person's game mm. right like who can afford 125 150 bucks out right. of pocket to for 50 minutes to talk about their problems so it's it really is for a privileged group mm -hmm. and i keep thinking to myself obviously the enneagram can't address major 
like mental illnesses or stuff like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But what it could do is help populations that don't have access to good mental health oh, stuff yeah. for like marriage stuff or family dynamic problems or self-understanding. And I'm like, well, what would happen if we just started to train people, pastors, social workers, people working in uh, amongst populations that don't have a lot of resources to teach them the Enneagram. That's amazing. And you do it for free. That would be amazing. Like they don't have to pay nothing. Right, They're just going to learn about themselves, their marriages, and it may at least go a long way toward helping a population that otherwise doesn't have access to mental health care. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'm I'm excited about the new things I'm learning. I love that idea. And I'm excited that I got to say, I did survive 47 below zero in Edmonton, <laughs> Alberta. Woo, man. Well, we're glad to have you back. I'm glad to be back. Um, I'm glad not to have that green room death plague. Yeah, slightly. And I mean, you weren't the only one that left with something, I think. No, in fact, right? I, can I just say right now I'm blaming Annie Downs. Annie, if you are listening, <laughs> I saw your picture on Instagram after you were at the, the Young Life Conference where we both spoke. Yeah. You looked like you've been run over by a car. I saw the picture. I want you to know, thanks for sticking your finger in the M&M bowl. <laughs> okay, so let's tell people about what's coming up in a few weeks. Oh, dude, man. Yes. This is going to be the bomb. Yes. On March 21st. This is the big announcement. People have been waiting for this reveal. Oh, my gosh. Because we've talked about what we're doing, but not who's going to be there with That's us. That's right. So March 21st right. in San Diego at the Balboa Theater. Yes. We are doing our first Typology Podcast Live review and variety show. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be unlike anything we've ever done before. Yes. Unlike any other live podcast. Right. You know who's going to be with us? Tell us. Well, number one, we are bringing along with us the Nashville-based, legendary, hysterically funny, but also brilliant mm -hmm. composer Andy Gullihorn is going to be with us. He's Andy gonna, Gullihorn. He is going to bring down the house. He will. And People are you know going to fall are, in love with him if they haven't heard him before. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He's amazing. And yeah. our live interview guest is? Yes, Bob Goff. San Diego's own Bob Goff. In the house. Can you imagine that's what that's awesome. going to be like? That's going to be a blast. Enneagram that's 7. It's going to be a party. In the house. Yes. Who else knows what's going to happen? That's right. Right? That's right. I mean, this is our first time doing a live podcast. Yeah, it's going to be cool. So, frankly, people can come and watch to see if the wheels fall <laughs> off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's going to be worth it, right? Yeah, it's like, totally. we don't know if this is going to work. And if it doesn't, that might be as entertaining as if it did. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so everyone, make sure you go to typologypodcast.com to get your tickets. That's T-Y-P-O-L-O-G-Y podcast.com. And I believe you can even get some uh, special VIP passes as well. That's right. Yep. March 21st, Balboa Theater, San Diego, California. Please join us. Absolutely. It's going to be a fantastic time. All right, let's turn our attention to today's program, Ian. We are going to get back into the mailbag. Mailbag. Woo! So I'm going to hit you with some questions. Okay, pull yeah. it out of the hat. So these are questions that people have been sending in. We get a lot of these, dude. We get a lot of them via email, via Instagram. So I'm going to hit you up with uh, a couple of questions. All right. Again, unrehearsed, and you're going to respond. All right. All right, so here we go. This is from Emily Nelson. She says, I think I broke my type. <laughs> I think, that's like when someone says, I think I broke the internet. 
<laughs> okay, Emily starts with a primer here. Is it possible to repress your type? She writes, I was a quintessential seven in high school and college. I was so fun, future-looking, adventure-having, finding silver linings to deal with pain. Then trauma hit me between the eyes. A gentleman left me for another woman. He said he knew he didn't love me because he had that love for her. No silver lining could be found and my sevenness cooled way down. I know it's still in there, but it feels like the tools that I once used to enjoy and embrace life were smashed. Mm, Wow, this is tough. She writes, I look a lot like a six now. Can you speak to trauma that happens in adulthood and how it might disturb our number? I don't feel like I moved to an unhealthy seven. I feel like I completely set seven aside to try on other numbers like three and six. Is that possible? Any suggestions for getting back to a healthy seven? Mm. Well, first, Emily, I'm sorry for your troubles. Yes. As they say in Ireland. Um, I <clears throat> Trauma is a very complicated uh, subject with, uh, with the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. But I'm not even sure. I mean, I think this is what might be called a micro trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and m- meaning, I think she, it sounds to me, Emily, like you're having a normal reactive depression mm-hmm. as a result of a significant loss. Right. Right. And, um, you know, when we, regardless of type experience, um, life events that, you know, are psychologically depleting, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't mean that our number changes. It means that we do what everybody does in that mm. situation is we oftentimes have reactive depressions. We lose our appetite. We have trouble sleeping. We lose or gain weight. We, uh, find um, that uh, we have less joy about things in the future, right? Mm-hmm. Less hopefulness about right. the future. Well, I'm actually doing right now off the top of my head is giving criteria for what a major depression is, right? Mm-hmm. So I would just say, <clears throat> one, get to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Try to work this out with somebody. Um, you know, once you get up in your own head, it's so hard to figure stuff out on your own. Right. Um, n- number two, I would say, you know, um, you, you, you have to practice, as I often say here on the show, unconditional self-friendship. Yes, I love when you say that. Life is hard. Mm-hmm. Life is difficult. Uh, as Scott Peck started The Road Less Traveled, mm-hmm. life is difficult. The sooner you accept it, the better off you'll be. Right. And as, that's not a cold-hearted statement. It's, it is to say that life is difficult. Yeah. And by the way, for sevens, breakups are very hard mm. you'll you'll read that in enneagram literature why is that because it's it's almost impossible to find a silver lining for it mm. and none of us do well with abandonment right right and so breakups are hard for sevens uh when they're in love mm-hmm. um especially if they can't re- recoup the relationship right and uh they just actually have to face the pain and the grief of it mm. So I would just say, be patient, practice unconditional self-friendship, get to a therapist who you can work this out with, and uh, have hope that, in fact, if you are, in fact, a seven, right, right, that um, the, the beauty of that number will, the green shoots of it will mm. eventually return. Yeah. And I'm also not surprised on her, on Emily's remark about six. 
simply because, you know, when a six is in a great space, there's a little bit of anxiety, worst case scenario thinking, and paranoia. Like, mm-hmm. is this going to happen again? Right. Hypervigilance. I just think any number would feel that way after getting burned in a sure. relationship. Sure, sure. Okay, thank you, Ian, and thanks so much, Emily, for sending that in. And thank you, Emily, for being so vulnerable. Yes. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Our next question is from Rod Mendoza. My question is about the Sunny Four. He says, you have referenced that a couple times on your show, but have never expounded on what that exactly means. I can't find very much information as to the countertype of the four online, so I was wondering if you could explain that a little deeper. Yeah, so... You know, um, actually, Beatrice Chestnut and I have had this conversation many times about the Sunny Four. Um, the reason it took me 10 months to figure out my type mm-hmm. is because I totally resonated with the unconscious motivation of the Four, which is the need to be special and unique as a way to compensate for and um, to recapture the quote-unquote missing piece or the fatal flaw mm-hmm. that the four can't name, doesn't know how to name, mm-hmm. but feels like they're missing this piece and they and, and it's somehow or another their fault. So a social four is kind of the four that everybody always talks about, right? The social four is that, um, you know, the darky, broody, um, uh, Cloves, I always laugh and say, the cloves cigarette smoking <laughs> uh, guy reading poetry, right, you know? Right, right. Um, With the beret but, on. But there's there's two other subtypes. Now, when it comes to subtypes, by way of editorial, one of the reasons it's super important to know them, in, and there's two numbers that you must know the subtypes for, fours and sixes. Okay. Because those three subtypes for each, the four and the six, are so different, they might as well be different numbers. Wow. That's how different those subtypes are. So the self-preservation four, the name we often give them is tenacity. The reason that it's called, this, it's the countertype. Mm-hmm. So in each of the sub, three subtypes under each number, mm-hmm. there is a, a countertype. Right. Okay. So the self-preservation four is the, is the counter four of the four subtypes. And it's often really hard to identify this person as a four they experience envy like all the other fours do, um, but they communicate that envy and suffering to others far less than the other two four subtypes. Okay, um, they're known. So think of it this way: um, counter the countertype self-preservation four, mm-hmm. which is what you are, by the way, is, right? Which is what I am. Yeah, um, uh, tends to suffer silently. The f- social four. Tends to suffer aloud. Wow. The sexual four makes other people suffer. Right, right. Okay? So I hope that helps a little bit. And yeah. so the, the, because the, the envy is less apparent in the four, um, what they tend to do in their behavior is they work hard to get what others have that he or she lacks, mm. okay? So instead of getting all hung up in their longing in a way that prevents them from taking action, because you know, like a social four can just get stuck, right? Right, Up in their imagination, not sure what, what to do with their lives, yeah. talking a lot about their projects and artistic things they're gonna do, but they get stuck. Yeah. Self-preservation types do not get um, as stuck, okay? They actually get off their rear ends and, and strive 
to get the unavailable, the unattainable. Wow, okay. Um, um, and so they don't communicate the same sensitivity and shame mm. that the other type, the other two types do. Yeah. When I test on an Enneagram test for years when I would use them, and of course there's all different qualities of tests out there, I mm-hmm. always come out as a three or a seven. That's amazing. Right? Wow. So it's the counter type. Yeah. It's quietly long suffering and they will work hard uh, to try and achieve and succeed in order to compensate for the missing piece. And okay. they can very often look like a three or a seven. Wow. Okay. Good. All right. Thank you, Rod. All right. This next one is from Deanna. And she says, I have recently learned of the Enneagram and I believe I'm a nine, but I also could be a six or I am a nine with unhealthy six tendencies. I find that both avoiding conflict and being safe and secure are high motivators for me. How can I properly determine which one I really am? Yeah, it's a great question, right? Because mm-hmm. nines and sixes share a line. Right. When a nine is not doing well, they go to the low side of six. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, you could say to someone like this, well, how long have you been under stress? How stressed are you? Oh, it's a good question. How long, you know, you may be sitting in the low end of six for a long time and, and yet you feel like you're nine, you know. Right. So some self-reflection is in, is, uh, is in order there. Um, so there are some similarities between nines and sixes. Uh, they can be really loyal, super caring, very supportive, great team players, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, sixes and nines, though, have some real differences, though, as well. Um, nines tend to merge with others and trust other people easily. Okay. Sixes tend to stand apart and they're more suspicious of people than nines are especially in the beginning of a relationship until they get enough data to determine whether or not someone is trustworthy okay okay nines are don't rock the boat people Uh right they go along to get along and uh they over accommodate um and they're they're more compliant um, than than sixes, right? Sixes right. are by nature more mistrustful of other people. Okay. So uh, and and you know uh, sixes are probably a little bit more focused than nines are. Nines are pretty easily distracted, while sixes usually are more alert in their focus of attention, particularly on potential threats. You know, as you're talking about sixes and their focus of attention and nines being a little more easily distracted, I'm reminded of the story of our good friend Randy Williams and the uh, lawnmower in the backyard. Oh, my god! It's a good example of a nine. Well, that's a good example of a nine who gets easily distracted, right? So Randy, uh, who is a dear friend, uh, one day I show up uh, at his house and there's, he's got a, um, a, there's a riding mower on his front lawn and it's just running and nobody's <laughs> on it. There's nobody on the mower, right? And half the lawn is done. Right. So I go into the house, and um, I'm like, Randy, where are you? And he says, I'm back here. And I go back there, and he's sitting at his computer. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, I said, you got a riding mower running outside. And he's like, oh, crap. Like, Like, he's like... Oh, wait a minute. It's like he woke up from a trance, right. you know? Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, I came in the house to get um, 
my wife's uh, a phone number for my wife. And then I noticed that there was a letter that, you know, that needed to be, a you know, something was in it that I needed to take care of. Right. And I just sat down and started like doing it. <laughs> now that, my friend, is called a diffuse habit of attention. <laughs> I just totally forgot about the lawnmower. Totally forgot about it. That's great. Okay. Next question from Colin. He says... I believe I've heard you say on the show before that nine wing eights are the most complex number on the Enneagram. Could you give a little more depth to the motivations and behaviors of somebody who may be this type? Okay, so I don't remember saying it was the most complex number on the Enneagram. All right. I would say that some of the more complex combinations would be three, four, four, three. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say another uh, complicated one is five, four, because it, they can tend to be more quirky right. than, than other types. But here's what I will say about nines and eights. You have a nine peacemaker, right? Right. With a challenger wing. Wow. Okay? So you've got someone who's asleep to their anger. Right. Right? But they've also got this side that's way plugged into their instinctual drives. So what happens, and this is what a friend of mine used to say this about their daughter, who, had, who was a nine with an eight wing. Her daughter would come home all the time and say, my eight wing did something today that my nine is going to take weeks to fix. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. So, so what happens is, is that eight aggressive side yeah. can come out and then the nine part of you is like, oh my gosh, I have to go smooth over that conflict. Right. So it's not that it's complicated. It's just that there are two forces at work in, the, in that combo that can you know, seem at loggerheads with each other. And Ian, you touched on this a little bit, but talk some more about how this is all coming from the instinctual drive. Right, so that you have an eight. Yeah. Where the instinctual drive is coming straight out. Totally. Then you have the one where the instinctual drive is being tamped down. Right. And then you have the nine that's asleep to its instinctual drive. Right. So you've got an eight who runs on 240 volts <laughs> next to a nine that's running on about 90 volts next to a one who's at normal 120. You yeah, know what I'm saying? That's it's great. A, you know, what a great way to that, put it. So it's complicated, but it's not the most complicated, I don't think. Okay. This next question is from Bonnie. I was wondering if you could explain more about countertypes. I think I could be a countertype three, hate it but true, and I'm having trouble finding information about countertypes. All right, it's a great mm-hmm. question. And to answer it, I'm gonna to go to the queen of subtypes, which is Beatrice. Yes. And I'm actually gonna quote something from her book okay. because she's, it's a much more succinct answer than the one I would give. Okay. Okay. She writes, for each of the nine types, there is a countertype subtype. In every case, with each of the nine points of the Enneagram, there are two subtypes that go with the flow of the energy of the passion, and there is one that is upside down, Mm -hmm. one that doesn't look like the other two subtypes and goes against the main energetic direction of the passion. This counter-passional type is called the countertype of the three subtypes. For example, the counterphobic sexual six is the most well-known of the countertypes. It's a six who's unafraid. The passion of the six is fear, but the sexual subtype goes against fear by being strong and intimidating as a way of coping with fear. Mm -hmm. So maybe the best way to say this is that um, 
the counter type goes against the natural flow of that type's passion <clears throat> and doesn't look like what one would expect that type to look like. Right, right? yes. Yeah. So remember we were just talking about self-preservation force. Yeah. We're called the sunny force. Yeah. We actually don't have that kind of externalized envy and suffering on the outside. It's, right. it, it, it looks almost the opposite of it, but the unconscious motivation remains the same. Mm, that's good. Okay, our next question is from Matt, and this came via Facebook. Thanks, Matt. The question is, how do different types process grief, and what is the best way to support them through the process? Uh, obviously, that would take up way too much time to do all nine numbers, so why don't we pick uh, three and four and contrast those? Ooh, three and four, huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, I think for threes, like, they instantly want to know uh, and set goals pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. They're very action-oriented people. They want to know what to do, not how to be in the grief, wow. but what to do with the grief, right? And they want it to be sort of task-oriented, mm -hmm. give me a checklist, what do I have to do? Let me get through Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, you know, like right. do a check-off of wow. all five, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, when in reality, what they need to do is like for a three would be to slow down, mm -hmm. um, let in their feelings, including sadness, depression, you know, like I was just mentioning Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, right? you know, to move through those stages naturally without saying, okay, I'm done with that, I'm mm -hmm. moving on to bargaining. Right. Okay, I'm done with bargaining, now yes. I'm into depression. Okay, check. Next I'm going to go on to is acceptance. Check. You know, yeah. It's like, that's just not how grief works. Right. Right? Like Grief's a very complicated emotion. I, I, I would argue that grief is the most difficult emotion to work with. Wow. You know? Yeah. Because it's such a helpless feeling. Yes. It's like, well, what do I do with it? It's right. like, no, actually, what's it doing with you is the question. Mm, that's well, good. The question is, will you allow grief to have its way with you? Wow. And then... When it's done doing its work on you, mm -hmm. it will pass on its own. Mm. The three doesn't want to rush through it. You, the, like a three should not try to cut corners with grief. Mm -hmm. You can't cut corners. If you do, you're actually um, just elongating the process. Right, right. Let it, let it have its way with you, right? Uh, I think with, um, with fours, um, what they really need to focus on, like fours... I mean, grief would not be an emotion that they're not terror. They're not going to be, well, particularly a social four, mm -hmm. is not going to have a as hard a time with grief as other numbers because they're more familiar with darker emotions. Right. Right. But what they have to do is learn to stay focused on what's positive in the present moment, mm. um, to stay as best they can in a posture of gratitude, mm. to not allow themselves to be sucked up into the vortex of self-absorption, yep. uh, poor me, mm. uh, thinking a lot about the past and what was ideal about the past before the event, or thinking about the future and what the ideal is going to be into the future. Um, so, so to, to your point, we don't have time to go through all nine numbers. Yeah. I would recommend, there's an article out there that's probably would be useful. It's Dr. David Daniels. Okay. And if you just typed in the Enneagram loss and grief. Okay. He does a pretty good job of walking people through 
how each type deals with loss and grief, particularly around death, but I think it would be useful across the board for whatever the source of the grief might be, whether it's a breakup or issues with loss of a job, etc. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you, Matt. Next question is from Kendall. Hello, Kendall. And this is on wings. He says, is a wing something that is static? Like I identify as a six wing five, but I also have some seven tendencies at times. And I've heard people use language about accessing a certain wing. As a six, do I have access to both five and seven or am I one or the other? Could you speak to that? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a complicated question, right? Mm -hmm. You have a dominant wing. Okay. Right, and you can have a wing, by the way, that is so heavy that sometimes it might confuse you with your dominant type. Wow. You know, like I'm a four with a, I have what's called a heavy three wing. Okay. So I can tell you, for example, growing up in Greenwich, Connecticut, which was a very three culture. Right. I probably always would have self-identified as a three. Mm-hmm. But that's because culturally it was expected of me to be more of a three than a four. Right, yes, that you makes know? sense. Very heavy three wing. I also have access though to five stuff when you've seen me be a four very much with a sure. five side yeah so i think what those two numbers represent are additional resources okay and so i can go to three for some resources i can go to five for some resources you mm-hmm. know that will help me in as a four mm-hmm. right right but i do have a dominant wing yes that is i'm particularly I don't know if gravitate toward, but maybe rely on more. But I can certainly go to my five wing and grab resources there. For example, when I'm writing a book and I'm mm-hmm. doing tons of research and I'm doing a lot of work, um, you know, I can be very introverted. Right. Uh, I, I love solitude, and I can a lot of that draws from the resources of the five. Right. You know, it's a great question, and there's a lot I could say about wings. Yeah. But let's just leave it at this: those two numbers that are adjacent to yours. Mm-hmm. One is your dominant wing, but you can access resources for growth from both of them. Okay, great. Thank you, Kendall. And our last question of the day comes from Marissa. She's a one, and she says, for ones who are struggling with anger, can you give any resources to help with this? Yeah, it's a great question, and mm-hmm. all ones struggle with anger. Right. So remember I've said in the past, even I think earlier in the show, that eights externalize anger, man. Right. It's just straight up, goes straight out. For nines, they go, what anger? They're out of touch with their anger. Yeah. What ones do is they repress anger. They tamp it down, mm-hmm. okay? In the mind of a one, anger is inappropriate. It's not something good people either have, no less express openly. Wow. Okay, so I think one of the things that a one has to do is learn how to appropriately talk about anger in the moment. Oh, that's good. With and resist the temptation to keep pushing it down. Right. This is called reaction formation. This is the defense mechanism of of ones. They don't want to push it down and bring up its opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to deny their own anger, mm-hmm. right? So. What a one has to do is pick up on when they're angry about something and express it in a way that's really positive. Now, another thing a a one can do is really try to tap into the high side of seven. Okay. Right? Which is where they go when they are feeling 
secure. And when they do, what it does is it relaxes their grip on some of their moralizing. Uh-huh. And it just chills them out a little bit, right? Right. Um, and it, they become people who um, affirm pleasure as a good thing. Oh, that's good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and just they allow life to unfold without any judgment and without manipulation. And as they can learn to release their need for things to be perfect, mm-hmm. that also will help attenuate anger. But I just think it's important for ones to get angry about what they're angry about that's good. in the moment, yeah. express it in a way that's useful right. and helpful, yeah. not in, in a way that doesn't come off as critical and judgmental. So, for example, with the one, I think ones, when they express anger, this is true for all of us, using I feel statements. Right. Not you make me feel angry. Right. No, that's not true. No one makes you feel angry. You make you feel angry. Yes. Right. Don't give people that much power. Right. Learn to say, I feel angry when right. you do X, Y, and Z. Right. Um, I feel angry in this moment because right. without and have it be more of a of a neutral expression of anger, not one that's finger wagging. Right. Right. Yes. But again, just important for ones, don't tamp down the anger and bring up the opposite emotion or expression. Yeah to mask it because ones will try and mask anger with um so so for example yes sometimes a one will get mad about something and they'll be looking at you with a smile on their face right and they'll be very gracious right and you'll pick that up and you realize you're pushing down the rage yes and bringing up an opposite um emotion and self-expression in order to you're tamping down and masking anger so don't mask it don't tamp it down, right? Oftentimes, everybody already knows, right? On some everybody level. knows <laughs> yeah. when a one has kind of got that gracious smile on their right. face, it's like, but okay. their eyes are daggers. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I just think for ones, they have to learn to just get real about their anger, and and when they can, I mean, just get over there to seven, yeah, where you can affirm pleasure yeah. in the moment and yeah. let go of the grip on your tendency to be moralizing. Yeah, that's good. Great. Well, that's our last question for the day. That's it. Yeah, we're done already. Wow. Yeah. This was awesome. What are we going to do this again? I love that. Oh, this is now officially a regular thing. So what do people do to get their questions to us? Hey, we've made that real simple. Just email us at typology at ianmorgancron.com. Again, that's typology at ianmorgancron.com. Hey, we'll collect those emails, toss them in the hat, pull them out, and answer some on our very next mailbag episode. Yeah, man. Thanks, everybody, for throwing in your questions. Ian, what is that you always say at the end of every episode? Well, you know. Mm -hmm. Remember the words of the great Oscar Wilde. Be yourself. Everybody else is is already already taken. taken.